patrons heard this episode ad-free first. You can become a patron too by heading over to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod or click the link in our show notes. One of the many benefits for patrons is a shout out in our episodes. So for this episode, thank you, Hannah and Jamie. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. In 1988, on a beautiful day in Bella, New Mexico, a 19-year-old woman got ready to do one of her favorite things, her daily bike ride. She put on a white t-shirt with the local bank's logo on it, white shorts with green stripes and white sneakers. She grabbed her bright yellow Walkman with a Boston cassette tape. Before leaving home on a neon pink mountain bike, she told her mom, come and get me if I'm not back by noon. It was the same route she took every day. But at some point, the route she knew by heart took a terribly wrong turn. The punctual college student didn't make it back by noon. And no one could have predicted that this daily exercise routine that brought her so much joy would haunt her name and her family for the rest of their lives. It's now been 35 years since that fateful bike ride. And the mystery of what happened to her has never been answered. Her name is Tara Calico. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Tara Lee Calico was born on February 28, 1969, in Bellin, New Mexico. It's a small town about 30 miles south of Albuquerque. Founded in 1740 by two Spaniards, the town's name Bellin is Spanish for Bethlehem. The railroad arrived in 1880 and would eventually become one of the town's most important industries. It was equally important to Tara's family who knew the railroad business inside and out. Tara's mom, Pat Dole, worked for the Santa Fe Railway for 27 years as a clerk and then assistant trains master. Tara's stepfather, John Dole, worked for the same railway for 34 years, eventually becoming a conductor. The railroad was a part of the family's daily life. You could even hear the train's whistle from the family's driveway in the southeast part of town. Tara's sister, Michelle Dole, said the small-town railroad life suited them well. In an interview with Investigation Discovery, Michelle said they were never worried about their safety in Bellin. It was unheard of for any type of crime to happen of this magnitude in such a loving place. Even in her earliest years, Tara was active and incredibly self-sufficient. At age six, she was making breakfast for herself and taking care of her own needs. Her stepfather, John, told reporters that he remembered her as a little girl preparing a pitcher of orange juice, cooking an egg, and browning toast all on her own. Tara's family was a loving and blended one. It included her mom, Pat, or Patty Dole, stepfather, John Dole, and biological dad, David Calico. Her mom and stepfather got married when she was six years old and between them had five children. They all called the young go-getter Teeny Tara. Despite being her mom's youngest, Teeny Tara was a natural leader. She was in peewee cheerleading, played softball, and in the ski club. She also loved playing tennis. At 19 years old, Tara was a sophomore at the University of New Mexico. She had a 3.9 grade point average and was studying to become a psychiatrist. Her stepfather told reporters she liked to pack in as much in one day as possible. She made daily to-do lists and would lay out her clothes for the day every morning. It makes sense that a stringent list follower would enjoy breaking free of her own structure and find peace and perspective on the open road. The breeze of the New Mexico plains in her hair, the smooth sounds of Boston blasting in her ears. 
freedom. Every day, Tara and her mom, Pat, would ride their bikes along New Mexico State Road 47 to the railroad tracks and back. It was 17 miles south and 17 miles back. It was a rural route of mostly dry desert emptiness. The mom-daughter duo took the route almost daily for exercise. But the two stopped riding together when Pat felt what can now be seen as an eerie premonition. She said she thought someone was following her. And her gut instinct might have been onto something. On the morning of September 20th, 1988, Tara's only concern was staying on schedule and avoiding a flat tire like she had experienced two weeks prior. That's another reason why Tara took off on the bike ride alone, and also why she borrowed her mom's 12-speed neon pink Huffy mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls. She planned on returning from her ride at 11.30 a.m. because she had a date with her boyfriend at 12.30 p.m. to play tennis. Then she had a class at four at the University of New Mexico Valencia campus, not far from her home or her daily bike route. Always on task and on time, Tara had everything she needed already laid out for the day. Tennis clothes, racket, tennis balls, school books, and purse. Earlier, she'd asked her mom to rewind two cassette tapes, one by the band Boston so she could listen to it on her bike ride. With everything in order for the rest of her day, Tara told her mom, if I'm not back by noon, come and get me. And with that, she set off on her neon pink bike at 9.30 a.m. for the 36-mile ride. Being a railroad family, Tara's mom and stepfather were known for their promptness. It was their job to ensure timeliness and check their stopwatches regularly. Aware of the late hour, Tara's mom, Pat, set out at noon to search for her daughter along their regular bike route. But she found no sign of Tara or the bright pink bike. When Pat returned home, her husband John Dole had just returned home from a night shift at the railway and was almost asleep when his wife burst into the bedroom to tell him the news. Pat, along with some of Tara's friends, returned to the route that afternoon to see if they could find any trace of Tara, but their search came up short again. There was no sign of what happened to her. Witnesses reported seeing a dirty white or light gray 1953 Ford pickup truck with a homemade camper shell following Tara about 11.45 a.m., but no one saw an abduction. She was two miles from home at the time and place of her last known sighting, likely nearing the end of her ride. Multiple witnesses supported the same observation, that a truck was driving very slowly about 40 feet behind Tara. One witness gave a description of the driver as a middle-aged Caucasian man with bright red-brown hair. The witness said he had a set of pressed khaki shirts hanging in the back of the truck, similar to what a law enforcement officer would wear. Although this driver was following Tara at the time of her last confirmed sighting, it was unclear if this truck was connected to her disappearance. Rainy weather and wind later that night likely washed away the few bits of evidence from Tara's disappearance. But the next day, Pat spotted the outline of a Boston cassette tape in some mud on the south shoulder of New Mexico State Road 47. Later on, the small cracked plastic window of Tara's Sony Walkman was recovered 19 miles east of the road, near a remote campground. Pat told detectives she believed her daughter had deliberately dropped the items as a way to mark her trail. Investigators also identified bike tracks on the north side shoulder of Route 47, near where the cassette tape was found. Investigators thought a scuffle might have taken place there. Family, friends, volunteers, and police searched for any sign of Tara for weeks after her disappearance. Police launched aerial investigations in airplanes and helicopters, as well as searches on horseback and on foot. Bloodhounds were trained to seek out her scent. 
their searches continued to come up short. Aside from the cassette tape, the cracked window on the Sony Walkman, a piece of plastic that looked like a bike reflector, and an old Milwaukee beer can, no other items were found. And 35 years later, that bright pink neon bike Tara was riding has never been found. Desperate for answers, Tara's family, as well as law enforcement, sought out every method that they could think of to find clues of her whereabouts. Reports say authorities provided a water witch with a strand of Tara's hair in hopes of finding out if her body was submerged in a ditch. Pat, Tara's mother, said one of the first detectives on the case called her almost every day with horrific scenarios of what he believed happened. Pat told Albuquerque Tribune that one of the most awful hypotheses was that a satanic cult abducted Tara and cut off her hands and planted them in an autumnal equinox fertility ritual. According to the detective's story, Tara was then tied to a post for three days and then burned at the stake. Days later, the same detective told Pat that Tara likely ran away from home. John Dole, Tara's stepfather, criticized the detective about his conflicting reports. He said, quote, There's been many people in law enforcement organizations who have been extremely helpful. And there's been an equal number who have done the opposite. A Valencia County undersheriff confirmed that the detective on the case had worked for the department less than five years. Years later, more information would come out about who allegedly was involved with Tara's disappearance and possible cover-ups within the Valencia County law enforcement. But we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Ten months after Tara vanished and a world away from Bellin, a woman was walking into Junior's convenience store in Port St. Joe, Florida, when she noticed a white Toyota cargo van with no windows. She described the driver as a white man in his 30s with a mustache. When she came back out of the store, the van was gone. But she spotted a Polaroid photo face down in the van's parking spot. When she picked up the photo, she became so distressed by what she saw, she called the police. The Polaroid showed a young boy and a young woman who had a striking resemblance to Tara. Both had black duct tape across their mouths and hands behind their backs as if they were bound. The young woman in her late teens or early 20s was wearing shorts. She had a copy of the best-selling book, My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews, next to her right arm. After the woman called police, law enforcement set up perimeters to catch the driver. But he has never been identified. You might be wondering at this point, when was the photo taken? Polaroid officials say that it had to have been taken recently because the film used for the photograph had just come out in May 1989. The photo was then featured in national news programs across America, including the television show A Current Affair. A friend of Tara's stepfather saw the show and thought the woman in the Polaroid looked like Tara. He immediately alerted Tara's mother and stepfather, Pat and John Dole. As the Doles were receiving possibly a huge breakthrough in their search for Tara, another family nearby also recognized someone in the photo. The family of Michael Henley thought the young boy in the photo might be their nine-year-old son. Michael had vanished a few months before Tara in the Zuni Mountains of New Mexico during a camping trip with his family. And both families were convinced the young woman and boy in the photo were Tara and Michael. Tara's mom, Pat, pointed out that a scar on the girl's leg matched a scar Tara had from a car accident in high school. Pat also noted that the book, My Sweet Audrina, was one of Tara's favorites. The spine of the book also had a possible clue to Tara's whereabouts. It had what looked like a phone number written on it. Only a few of the numbers were legible. Police tried calling more than 300 possible combinations of numbers. And of those 300, only 57 were actually valid phone numbers. But none of the numbers led to Tara. 
Although both families were convinced that Tara and Michael were the two people in the Polaroid photo, three separate agencies came to different conclusions when analyzing the photo. The Scotland Yard Police Department in London confirmed that the girl in the Polaroid was Tara. Meanwhile, other agencies disagreed. Experts from the Los Alamos National Laboratory noted that the woman's hairline and ear were consistent with Tara's, but ultimately they concluded it wasn't Tara. The FBI concluded that it could not say for sure if the people in the photo were Tara and Michael, so the FBI's results were inconclusive. Tara's mom, Pat, said an FBI agent told her that because the woman's legs were shaved, she couldn't be a kidnapping victim. Other observations noted that the skin around the duct tape on the young woman and the boy's mouths should have been more red and irritated, while an additional observation noted that their shoulders were too relaxed to have been bound. All of these notes led some to believe that the Polaroid was a hoax. Reactions to the Polaroid were mixed. While the FBI said it was a hoax, the Gulf County Sheriff Joel Nugent, who worked the case in Florida, said both kids appeared to be terrified in the photo. Thus, he felt strongly that the photo was real. Sheriff Nugent defended the photo's authenticity when he said, quote, it obviously is two kids with terror written all over them. It's a bad time when you have to look at something like that. No one knows for sure if it was a setup. Some people think it was a staged photographer, but it was a real look of fear to me, end quote. A year after the Polaroid was found in the Florida parking lot in June 1990, authorities made a discovery that would put the theories to rest. Investigators uncovered remains in the Zuni Mountains, which were later identified as Michael Henley's, the young boy who had disappeared shortly before Tara's disappearance. His remains were found about seven miles from his family campsite and 75 miles from where Tara had vanished. Police believed that Michael had wandered off and died of exposure. This discovery led to further doubts about the Polaroid's validity. To this day, the identities of the young woman and boy in the Polaroid are still a mystery. The Polaroid from Florida wasn't the only photo tied to Tara's case. Investigators looked into two other photos allegedly connected to Tara. A second photo showed a woman with tape over her mouth. There was a blue and white striped fabric background in the photo, similar to the Polaroid found in Florida. This photo was found near a construction site in Montecito, California. The woman depicted had the same cowlick as Tara's at the right temple. Pat Tara's mom believed it was a photo of Tara. She had also pointed to the eyes in the photo, how one lazy pupil was asymmetrical to the other, like Tara's. The third photo showed a woman and a man on an Amtrak train. The woman is bound in gauze and wearing large black framed glasses with gauze covering her eyes. Investigators never confirmed the identities of these photos, but they remain linked to Tara's case. Pat was uncertain if the woman on the train was Tara or if it was staged. Nonetheless, the man in the photo is included with two other suspect composites. Pat told reporters that the photos from Florida and California gave her hope that Tara was still alive. In 1991, Pat and John Dole went so far as to be deputized so they could carry a weapon, conduct searches, and gain more access to case files so that they could help with the investigation of Tara's disappearance. In 1998, 10 years after Tara's disappearance, a judge ruled her death as a homicide and declared her deceased. Despite this official declaration, Tara's mom held on to hope and belief that her daughter was still alive. Pat kept Tara's bedroom as it was the day she disappeared. Tara's bed even had stacks of birthday and Christmas presents piling up for the day she would hopefully return home. 
In an online post, Pat admitted that she'd lost what was left of her mind and had been recovering from acute depression and panic attacks. Then in 2003, Pat and John Dole made the incredibly difficult decision to leave their hopes behind and move away from their longtime home in Bellin, New Mexico, to their dream retirement home in Port Charlotte, Florida. Pat told Albuquerque Tribune, quote, here in Bellin, there's not anything I can do that doesn't remind me of Tara. It will be a good change for us. It's really hard to move. If she were to come home, I could not ever tell her we gave up on her. Pat, still holding on to hope, packed up Tara's bed as well as the gifts she hoped her daughter would one day unwrap. The move didn't slow Pat's effort to find her daughter, though. She spent the rest of her life searching for Tara. At the age of 64 in 2006, Pat passed away after a series of strokes. Her husband, John, said her passion to continue searching for Tara eventually led to her failing health. Tara's biological father, David Calico, had died four years earlier in 2002. Remember how we said that there were allegations of a cover-up within law enforcement? More details about that came out 20 years after Tara vanished. In 2008, the sheriff of Valencia County, Rene Rivera, announced he knew exactly what happened to Tara, but that the people involved were too well-connected at the time. He said two teens who knew Tara accidentally hit her bike and panicked. They drove off with Tara, raped, and killed her, tossing her bike into the Bellin junkyard. Rivera said that two other men were involved after her murder and helped get rid of her body. There are allegations that they threw her body in a pond or disposed of it elsewhere. Rivera said the teens came from prominent families who helped in the cover-up. When asked why no arrests had been made, he said they wanted to build an airtight case before announcing any suspects. Rivera made this announcement with no intention of following up until some piece of evidence was discovered, such as Tara's bike, clothing, or body. The fact that the sheriff made this shocking announcement without having solid evidence made John Dole, Tara's stepfather, extremely angry. That anger was shared with the rest of Tara's family and former classmate and friend, Melinda Esquibble. Melinda received a copy of the sheriff's statement and the emotions she felt after Tara's disappearance came rushing back. Melinda recalled not having many friends in high school until she met Tara on a band trip. Melinda told KRQE News that Tara said, quote, Nope, you're hanging with us and took me and hugged me and that is how we became friends. Years after Tara vanished, in 2010, Melinda was at a Christmas dinner with friends when Tara's name came up and someone told her, quote, Oh, Melinda, the whole town knows who did it. That's when Melinda, a filmmaker, decided to shoot a documentary and help find justice for Tara. Melinda visited the sheriff's office to take a look at Tara's case file, but was shocked at what she found. She said it was empty. And as Melinda dug deeper into the case, she started receiving death threats. She was forced to stop filming the documentary due to the ongoing threats. Then in 2017, Melinda, along with Tara's sister, Michelle Dole, launched a 34-episode podcast called Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation. Melinda says their research helped make significant progress in the investigation. Pieces of the puzzle that were overlooked before were starting to be investigated. Melinda believed there were too many powerful people involved who didn't want the case to be solved. Melinda told KRQE that people with strong ties to the community who may have silenced others from coming forward had finally passed away. She thinks that made a huge difference in getting people to talk. 
The podcast launched during the age of social media, sparking a wave of support in the search for justice. People across the U.S., including celebrities, shared photos on social media of them holding signs that said, Justice for Tara Calico. People Magazine even contacted Melinda to do a story on Tara. So Melinda, Michelle, and Tara's brother, Chris, spent 10 months interviewing with People Magazine. The article was published in 2018, and the family was incredibly grateful for the national coverage and the renewed interest in Tara's case. Over the course of their research, Michelle and Melinda shared all of the information they gathered with investigators at the Valencia County Sheriff's Department. Their podcast was so thorough that it's considered a key source of information in the case. In 2018, Melinda resumed filming a documentary about Tara's disappearance. According to the Internet Movie Database, otherwise known as IMDb, the documentary is still in production. So where is Tara's case today? Three decades later, Tara's disappearance is still a mystery. In 2018, the FBI and the Valencia County Sheriff's Office revealed that they had a new theory that was similar to former Sheriff Renee Rivera's theory from 10 years earlier. The officials said two informants provided them with new information, and they were actively looking into two different suspects who were still alive. The two suspects were teenagers at the time of Tara's disappearance. Authorities believed that these boys attacked Tara and killed her when they saw her riding her bike on Route 47. The investigators alleged that two other accomplices helped hide evidence after the crime happened. And as in previous theories, authorities believed the boys' parents may have helped cover up the crime. In 2019, the FBI announced a reward of $20,000 to anyone with information leading to Tara's location. Although it's unclear what prompted this reward. Two years later, in September 2021, the Valencia County Sheriff's Office and the New Mexico State Police issued a statement announcing a new lead in the case and that they had sealed a warrant for a private residence located in the county. We do not know the results of that warrant. Despite the eerily similar features of the young woman in the Polaroid, Tara's sister Michelle and filmmaker Melinda believe Tara never made it out of Valencia County. In fact, Melinda recently told The Sun July 2022 that she feels like she and her team have solved the case. Melinda told The Sun that she believes a group of local boys stalked Tara after she rejected one of the boys when he asked her out on a date. Melinda believes Tara was killed on the same night that she disappeared and that she was buried about 20 miles from where she was killed, which would eliminate the theory that Tara was kidnapped. Melinda says none of the data she's collected leads to the girl in the Polaroid being Tara. Melinda told the son that she has information that it's possible that this boy and his friends were planning to grab her four days before the day they actually took her, meaning it was thought out and premeditated. They allegedly knew her route and followed her. Melinda believes the boys hit her bike and knocked her off. She allegedly took off running and they followed her, grabbed her, assaulted her, and then killed her. Melinda says she has gruesome details of what happened and what happened in the aftermath. Lieutenant Joseph Rowland is the agent now on the case for the Valencia County Sheriff's Office. He told The Sun online that the case can be solved. He said the FBI confirmed again that it isn't Tara in the Polaroid. But he says a body has yet to be found and one of the biggest difficulties in Tara's case is that there is such little evidence. However, he does say there's hope. He said he believes the case is, quote, progressing extremely well and is very much in an active status. Lieutenant Rowland told Investigation Discovery that there's talk in the community that everyone knows what happened to Tara. 
He believes that there are people out there who know exactly what happened, and he hopes they know they can trust them to act appropriately. However, if Tara was murdered, there's little the law can do to punish those responsible. The statute of limitations for the vast majority of crimes that could have been committed in September 1988 have long since expired. Tara's family and friends, however, will never give up finding closure. A lot of the information that's been uncovered can't be released to the public because the FBI and the Sheriff's Department are still building a case. However, anyone with information is asked to call the FBI tip line at 1-800-CALL-FBI or the Sheriff's Office at 505-866-2400. Sadly, there are still so many mysteries in Tara's case. As the investigation continues 35 years later, we can all show our support by repeating her name, Tara Calico, and sharing her story. You can also follow the latest updates as Tara's investigation continues on Melinda's website, taracalico.com. Until our next episode, make sure you follow us on all of our socials at the Murder Diaries pod. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.